everyone, welcome to another episode of Talk It Out with me, Li Jingjing. This show aims to show you the voices and stories that are often neglected by Western mainstream media. A lot of people are saying the world is changing, the geopolitical balance is changing, and if you take a look at what's happening in the world, well, it kind of makes sense. For example, if you take a look at Latin America, Colombia has the first. Left his president being elected just a few days ago, and、uh, the president of Mexico dared to say that I'm not going to the summit of the Americas hosted by the United States because not all of us were invited. And if you look at West Asia, Saudi Arabia, the United States close ally didn't pick up the phone with Joe Biden. That's kind of dangerous when your ally. Didn't pick up your phone and、uh, look at the African continents. Lots of African countries refuse to join the Western side to put sanctions on Russia. So a lot of things are, are changing. And right now, these days, we have the BRICS summit. The leaders from Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. We're meeting virtually and looking for solutions for deeper cooperations between countries in the global south. So I think it's very important that we hear the voices from the global south. So today I invited a very special guest. His name is Marco Fernandez. He's from Brazil and he is the researcher at the Tricontinental Institute for Social Research. So Marco, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jingjing. I mean, it's a big honor, a pleasure to be here with you. I mean, follow you, of course, and and on social media, YouTube, Twitter, etc. We're going to talk about social media later.、Um, so, yeah, I mean, very happy to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. And I know you, you're from the Tricontinental、uh, Institute for Social Research. And、uh, can you tell our viewers more about yourself, your background,、uh, and what other projects you are working on? Well, my education—I、um, mean, my undergrad—I mean, it's in history. I did masters also in history. Then I did a PhD in social psychology. I had a lot of interest also. And a few years ago, I joined Tricontinental, which is actually、uh, like a—it's a global South、uh, think tank, literally, because we have offices in. Uh, Buenos Aires, in Argentina, in São Paulo, Brazil, in Johannesburg, in South Africa, and in Delhi, in India. So it's literally like a, like almost like a BRICS,、uh, <laughs> almost like a BRICS thing. <laughs> so that, yeah. also, yeah, what I've been doing also,、uh, one of the projects I'm involved is also it's called、uh, Dongshan News. You can. See us in in、uh, social media. It's actually it's a digest. We provide we we don't produce content news content. We actually just provide a digest of news for the the mainstream media. I mean from Western, but China state media from Chaixin, from South China Morning Post, from like many、uh, media from many countries. Where we try to do like a like a very like compressed ten stories a week. Uh, with some future, because right now we know there's like a big. It's hard to get news from China without like a huge bias, especially from the Western uh, uh, mainstream media. So what we try to do is to pick stories with some future, because some of us are here in China, 
uh, and some others in other countries, but also follow China closely. And we try to provide this like sort of future information, um, trying to escape a little bit of the bias of a Western um, media. And, mm. and we are in Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. And we also have like this, this digest that we send by emails every, every week, every Sunday. Mm. Mm. So you are also giving Western audience or people outside of China a different view, different voices. I mean, be careful. You're probably going to be labeled as China's state affiliated media and. <laughs> They will put some censorship on you. Limit, yeah, limit your traffic. When we, yeah, this is our joke. We still didn't get the badge, but maybe we are like <laughs> going this direction. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, before we continue to discuss those topics, so I want to kindly remind our viewers: if you like this conversation, like this interview, please hit the like button or leave a comments. That it will help us to to break the algorithm and let this video being promoted to more viewers. And also give a follow, give a like to Dongsheng News as well. So Marco, as I <laughs> mentioned in the intro, it's very interesting to observe what happened in Latin America in the past few weeks. So from your perspective, from, from as a Brazilian, uh, what's, what, what, how do you make of this summit of Americas? Yes. I mean, that's, this is a very good example of what's going on now and, and how much U.S. is losing its influence and its power and its dominating power, um, in many places in the world. And Latin America, of course, as we know, it's, uh, it's treated by U.S. historically. Uh, as their backyard. And this is like, like historically since the 19th century. I mean, it's so funny because I don't know if you saw, but, uh, I think maybe two months ago, uh, Biden was giving a speech at the White House and somebody make mention this issue. Oh, is Latin America and the Caribbean U.S. backyard? But, and he said, no, no, it's not the, it's not our backyard. It's actually our front yard. It's like, what? I mean, even when they try to be nice, they're awful. It's um, it's amazing. They think it's better to be the front yard. We don't want to be anyone's yard. We want to build our house. We want to live in our house. We don't want to be your uh, front yard. So I think this is um, what happened in the summit of America. It's, it's a symptom. And it's also very interesting to think that, okay, the summit of America finished at, in June 10th. And June 19th, you had election in Colombia. So it was nine days. Biggest failure. Some of America was the biggest diplomatic failure of U.S. in like in, in the continent, in the region in the last years. And then, as you said, they just lost, lost Colombia. Colombia was almost like a NATO partner. Colombia mm-hmm. had historically is, as you said, is only right wing presidents. Um, Colombia has actually has a very terrible story in terms of political violence because Colombia never had a dictatorship like most of our countries in, in, in South America, for instance, we had in Brazil, in Argentina, in Uruguay, in Chile. They never, they never needed to do that, but it was always a regime of a lot of assassinations of leftists, of social activists. For instance, from 2016, 
to this year, more than 2,000 social activists were killed by paramilitary, uh, by like, you don't know where this come from, but, but of course we know how much paramilitary and all the gangs are embedded in the state power. So losing Colombia right now is a huge blow to the U.S. And let's see now. I mean, it's really what's happening right now in Latin America, Colombia. It's one more step. But in the last years, we had like we are the, the continent shifting again. We have a new wave of progressive governments since at least um, election of uh, I think it was 2019 in Argentina, Alberto Fernandez. Then you had uh, Bolivia last year, this year. I mean, you had Mexico also, um, um, Chile, Peru, and Honduras this year, and now Colombia. And in October, we actually have maybe the most important election in the region in the last years, which is going to be in Brazil. So Lula, the former president, is running again. Right now has a good um a good advantage uh, compared to Bolsonaro, which is the, the actual president, extreme right-wing president. And if Lula wins in October, which has a big chance, this would be a game changer, not only for Brazil, not only for Latin America, but for the world. Because Lula, I mean, it will represent, uh, for instance, uh, with all this progressive wave, um, Latin America is rebuilding, and the Caribbean is rebuilding CELAC, which is our regional platform that was actually formed in, in 2009, had a good start, but then because of many blows, um, many of them organized and supported by the U.S., like what happened in Venezuela, like what happened in Brazil with the coup uh, against Dilma and Lula in jail, not able to run 2018. So CELAC is being reorganized in the last years. And as you said, AMLO, um, Andres Manu Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador from Mexico, who dare mm -hmm. to say we're not, uh, not attending the, the summit, he's leading right now this process of reorganization of CELAC. He and Alberto Fernandez from Argentina. So they had a meeting after four years without any meeting. They had a meeting last year in September in Mexico City. And next meeting will be in December in Buenos Aires, which will, can be already a very different meeting, especially if Lula wins. So there is a, there is a reorganization, uh, of the, of the platform, uh, the regional platform of Latin America and Caribbean, which we know it's crucial for the whole global South. These kind of initiatives, the same mm. with ASEAN countries in, in, in Asia, the same with uh, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, the Chinese part, Russia, many countries in, in Asia as well. Iran just joined. Uh, we have the African Union. So we, I mean, we have the, um, Euro Asian, uh, economic union. So there is a, a big reorganization of the global south right now. And BRICS, of course, it's, it's part of this, of this process. And, and this is, we know, I mean, without this integration, uh, of the regional platforms and without strengthening our political leverage towards the global north, uh, we're going to be in trouble in the next years because they are not going to stop what this movement of, of reorganizing NATO now try to have like a global NATO. 
So, so this is, I think this is the moment of history that it's getting clear for many leaders in the global south that we don't have alternative, uh, if we don't, we, if we're not united and organized in regional platforms and maybe in some global platforms, uh, like BRICS or expanded BRICS. And the, the BRICS is like happening now, uh, as we are speaking. And, uh, it, I think probably all eyes are on all BRICS now, especially from the West, because the, this is the, after the Ukraine crisis, this is the first time that these countries, leaders of these countries, uh, meet, even though it's virtually, but it is, it's first time for these leaders of these countries to, to, to meet. And, uh, you know, these countries were the countries that refused to join the Western side. They're not necessarily on the Russian side, but they refused to take in the Western side, uh, not taking the pressure from the United States or uh, whatever. So I'm wondering, um, in your opinion, how important is BRICS? How, what kind of difference it can bring to the global South? Yeah, BRICS right now, it's, it's maybe one of the most important, uh, initiatives we have, uh, politically in the whole world and economically. So as you said, I mean, that right now there's the, the meetings happening. Uh, BRICS today is, it's five countries. China, I mean, if you, if you take for, um, from, uh, GDP, PPP, which is the, the real GDP that purchase, uh, uh, bear power. So China is the biggest economy in the world. India is the third, Russia is the sixth, and Brazil is the eighth. So of eight economies, uh, the four biggest, four biggest, four out of eight are uh, in BRICS. So of course, it's, I mean, it, it's a lot of potential, uh, a lot of potential for these countries to be able to have more leverage, more power, Negotiation, uh, for instance, in, in other platforms with the global north countries like the 20, like the IMF, uh, like the World Bank. BRICS, for instance, has two very important initiatives already, uh, which are alternatives or trying to be alternatives to, uh, some of the global north, uh, institutions. First is the national, uh, sorry, the new development bank, which is actually in Shanghai. I'm a few kilometers from from the headquarter here, uh, which is trying to be alternative to World Bank, for instance, and financed fund projects, uh, infrastructure and other projects in the global south. And also there's a very interesting initiative that's not so known. It's called the contingent reserve arrangement, which basically is a, is a try to be alternative to IMF. It's like a hundred billion dollar, uh, fund. That any of the countries of BRICS, if they have, if they are in trouble with the dollar, with uh, their reserves, they need uh, some money uh, to uh, to economic operations, trade, etc. They can access this platform. So I think this is two very important alternatives that BRICS are creating. But there are many others. I mean, for instance, if you take some of the big challenges we have nowadays globally. For instance, poverty and inequality. I mean, break, I mean, right now, because of the pandemic, this, I mean, this is one of the worst crises, economic crises we have in, in the century. 
just for having an idea, uh, according to uh, United Nations, between 720 and 800 million people are now, uh, or since 2021, undernourished because of the economic crisis. More than 250 million jobs were lost uh, because of the pandemic. So poverty inequality now, it's a huge problem again. And, and actually, we, we, there, there's a regression because uh, we were improving in many of these uh, issues in the last years. But because of the pandemic, and of course now we still have the conflict in Ukraine, which is a, another big blow to the economy. So this is one of the big challenges we have. And then if you think about what China did in the last years with the poverty alleviation campaign, all the experience that China has in terms of how to deal with and how to address these issues and how to solve the issues of extreme poverty, um, this could be uh, discussed like globally, this experience. BRICS can be a part of that. Even Brazil, I mean, we didn't have as much as uh, a big program like China, but Brazil had a very important uh, program too during Lula, uh, Lula's and Dilma Rousseff's, uh, both presidents from Workers' Party. Um, we also had a very important experience on, on this issue of poverty alleviation. So this is one of the examples. We take many, we take vaccines, for instance. China is one of the major uh, uh, designers of vaccines, right? And Russia also has its own vaccine. I mean, COVID is not over. I mean, no matter what New York Times says, oh, it's just a flu, it's over. No, it's a lot of people are dying every single day in the planet. African countries have 15% of vaccination rate right now. We need a lot of vaccines still. So we have China and Russia who uh, made vaccines, like in, invented vaccines. We have China and India as the two major producers of the raw materials for the vaccines and, and medicines. So if you get that, BRICS is again strategical. And we can talk about many other things, but one of the things that we are discussing even before we started, it, it's about internet. I mean, come on, we need an alternative yeah. to, to social media platforms of the Western. We saw what just happened with, with Russia. They can just put a button and just cancel you. And you're out of YouTube, you're out of Twitter, you're out of, so we need, we need BRICS social platforms. We need a BRICS mm. Weibo as we are, we are uh, uh, joking. And also the hardware, because also U.S. control, I don't know, maybe 90% or more of the whole infrastructure of the internet in the world at the end of the day is controlled by the U.S. So if we don't create these alternatives for internet, for telecommunications, for social media, I mean, we also, we don't have defense if, if they started to sanction us in other countries like they did with Russia. Um, that's very important point that you, you just mentioned. Uh, I interviewed the former U.S. Marine, Brian Balletti, who is based in Thailand now. And he said the local media, social media, completely polluted by this like Western mainstream social networks because they, they don't have their own versions of the social networks. So you just take whatever junk, whatever dirt the Western mainstream media throw at you. So I know a lot of people who used to judge, who criticize China for why you have your own Weibo, why are you having your own WeChat, why are you having your own versions of every uh, thing? Why don't you just use Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter? 
I think now people start to realize the internet space is a very important space. Is your space is more nowadays? Your space is more than land, ocean, or sky. Internet is important. So in, protect your the safety of your internet of your social networks. Don't let your whatever outsiders to throw a bunch of dirt, fake news, conspiracy theories. So I mean, now we realize it's very important. Remember, like when the war just broke broke out, uh, I, Apple Pay stopped service in Russia, and all of a sudden, overnight, people stuck at the metro station. They couldn't get into the metro to go home just because I cannot pay for this anymore with Apple Pay. So I mean, how much damage it can bring to your life if the control. Is it like I mean? Other countries are taking the control of everything, your everyday life. That's why I mean, going back to the BRICS. I mean, China is the only country in the world right now who has the capacity of do both the hardware of internet, but also the software, the platforms. So this this is something that in the countries of the global south, and maybe BRICS can be like a, a starting point for this discussion.、Um, I mean, China can play a, a big role. In in the whole world, also bringing this experience, bringing the knowledge, bring the、uh, uh, the technology, and transferring technology from other countries. So, and and just one last thing, also,、um, this is also a key discussion these last days、uh, during the BRICS. And again, is the issue of the dollar, because this is another big weapon that U.S. and Western countries have dollar. I mean, now again we have this maybe the risk again. There's a lot of discussions about maybe uh, nuclear um, conflict again. I mean, hopefully not, but this is already it's again in the table. But actually, to be honest, a real weapon of mass destruction is the dollar. Look what U.S. is able to do with countries that don't agree with them or try to challenge their domination. Look at what they did with Venezuela, with Cuba first, six years ago. From six years, Cuba lives in a huge embargo. People are like don't have access to food or medicine. You know,、uh, President、uh, Alberto Fernandez from Argentina. He just said last week. He said the Cuban embargo by U.S. is equivalent of a genocide, and it's true, and it's the same in Venezuela. I mean, they just crushed Venezuelan economy. Taking Venezuela out of SWIFT as they did with many banks in Russia now,、um, limiting the access—I mean, of dollars—Venezuela can、uh, do many operations because they don't have access to dollars. And what they did in even—I mean—they stole, they freeze, they say freeze, but actually they stole assets from Venezuela, more than seven billion dollars. And I just want to add one more point. No, yeah, because you freeze the assets. And because there's a huge earthquake just took place in Afghanistan, I think over a thousand people died from this disaster. And Blinken just sent a tweet saying, "Oh, my heart, our heart goes to the Afghanistan people's,、so, uh, like bless you, blah blah." I mean, just give the money back to them. You cannot just tweet, send a tweet, so oh,、uh, like my my. Heart is with you, my thoughts with you, prayers for you, and then froze froze their like seven billion U.S. dollars assets. That's so 
Exactly. This, I mean, this is the this is the power they have, and what they did now with Russia, three hundred billion dollars. This is this is the GDP of South Africa for one year. They just exact again one button, and they just cancel you. So if we don't build um, uh, alternatives to that, we also would be in trouble in the next years. So this is a good thing because actually, the more U.S. use the dollar as a weapon. The more the countries in the global south are realizing, guys, we need to do something about it. So there is mm-hmm. discussions going on. I mean, President Vladimir Putin just said two two days ago, he said we need BRICS could be a platform to discuss an alternative to dollar. They mm-hmm. are doing the same right now in the in the Euro Asian Economic uh, Union, led by Russia and China is also joining this trying to build an alternative, maybe a basket of currencies uh, with commodities, some sort of index. And even in, in South America, little people know, but we, we already have a mechanism there. Not so used still, but we have a mechanism. It's, it's Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, and Paraguay. We can do trade among these four countries without using the dollar. So this, this discussion is all around. And, and thinking about uh, the role that, that China could play again, countries like China, Brazil, India, Russia. Think, I mean, India right now is buying oil from Russia uh, without dollars. They are paying like in, in rupees. Same with uh, Russia and China. I mean, I think almost 20% of their trade last year were done without the dollar. So this is, I think, and you know what? Um, there's a funny thing about the, the currencies of the BRICS because all of them start with R. It's renminbi from China, rubles from Russia, rupees from India, reais from Brazil, and rands from <laughs> South Africa. So it's the five oh, R. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and oh, I, I never thought about it. Yes. Yeah. And it's the five R's against the five I's. Which are the, <laughs> This is Bravo. What it's take now. Five R's against the five eyes. So I mean this is also uh, it's gonna it's gonna happen. You probably already noticed this narrative because uh China invested a lot in Latin America, in Africa, uh and uh more countries from these regions are joining the Belt and Road initiatives. And then you see the media from these countries are saying China is buying Latin America, China is buying Africa, or China is trapping those countries. Like what did they said to Barbados, remember? Like just a few months ago, last year, I think they said, what, they said like China uh, is buying, um, oh, what's the word they use? Trapping Barbados with all these projects. But then you look at it, it's all the infrastructures, very crucial for the countries. I mean, they're depicting China as a new colonizer to these regions. Um, and also, uh, I don't know whether you saw this tweet. I tweeted Times Magazine. Um, the, the headline is because we saw over the, over the past few months, these con- countries from these regions refused to join the Western narratives to pick a side during uh, in the Russia-Ukraine conflicts. And the title of this article is Putin may be winning the information war outside of the U.S. and Europe. So (laughs) 
they seems like they have a hard time to comprehend the idea that Latin America, Africa, West Asia, or like just people, just countries outside outside of U.S. and Europe are not buying their. I need to use a clean word. <laughs> I want to say the B word, but yeah, narratives. Yes, clean word. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not taking their side. I'm not buying their narratives. So, I mean, what do you say? Do you think because China is corrupting or buying those regions, or is that because Putin is winning the information war? Why regions like Latin America and Africa are not taking the West side? You know what? Talking about social media. I don't know if you saw. There's like a recently a tweet that viralized from somebody in Kenya. He said, "You know, when the Chinese come come to Kenya, we always get a hospital. When the British come to Kenya, we always get a lecture." So, so this, this is. I mean, I think this is. I mean, that's why viralized. It's brilliant because this is summarized. Summarized. First of all, I mean, this that trap narrative. Come on, guys. Who are the 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 biggest specialists in that trap in the history? It, it's called IMF, which is actually, by the way, an instrument of the United States. I mean, this is what they did with all the countries in the global south. Our countries, of course, debt crisis. Think, for instance, what happened in the '80s when there's a big crisis in the in the, the third world with the debt, the external debt, because the Fed. Raise their the uh, uh, the rates of uh, uh, interests rates, uh, and of course all the money just flood to the U.S. because it was more profitable and broke our countries in the global south. Guess what IMF did? They come, they offer you, they make you an offer you can refuse, as Godfather would say. Um, so basically, they they give you money. They okay. They pay your like your bills for the, the next two years, and you basically have to destroy your country. You have to privatize your your uh, state assets. You have to uh, cut the budgets for education, for wealth. This is the so-called the austerity measures. I mean, they have been doing this for decades in the global south, and now they they say, oh, China is doing that trap. I don't know if you saw, but like maybe two three weeks ago. Uh, there was a new study from um, Columbia University. Yes, it's not not Beijing University. Is not um, the, in, the, in Canada, right? No, in a Columbia, Columbia from from New York oh. and Columbia University from New York and uh, Oxford. It was a study about the, the. Okay, let's see if there's a debt trap. Guess what? They say look. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the, the debt of the South, uh, the, the African countries with China represents 8% of the total debt of the governments. And if you take the external debt, is 18% of the whole external debt. Guess who has the other 82%? International institutions from Europe, United States and like one third of this is bankers. It's basically bankers from Frankfurt, London, and New York who buy the bonds uh, of the debts, 
and actually these are the problem of this country. So if there is a debt trap in Africa right now, this was set up by IMF, by banks in Frankfurt and London and New York, and not anyway by China. And by the way, the debt they have with China is not to pay the other debts, as you said, is to build infrastructure that the countries need, ports, highways, railways, uh, pipelines. So, I mean, it's such a hypocritical uh, thing. But, but again, this narrative is just repeated like a hundred times a day. And then we know that, well, um, Goebbels, the Ministry of Propaganda of the Nazis, this is, I mean, once you repeat a lie a hundred times, it becomes truth. And this is basically mm. what U.S. is doing with China in so many other issues, right? Not only that trap in Africa, it's Hong Kong, it's Xinjiang, it's everything. So, do you know um, what kind of co cooperations are there between China and Brazil, especially on their BRICS? So that's a good question, Jingjing, uh, because I mean the relationship between Brazil and China. In the last 20, 30 years, um, it got like huge uh, uh, progress. But of course, in the last years, because especially after the coup, and again, this would be a whole show about what U.S. supported to do in, in the, the color revolution we had in Brazil against President Dilma. And after that, uh, putting Lula in jail. Uh, for almost two years, didn't run election. Now everything it's already Supreme Court already said it was it was everything was fake. But anyway, so after that we had right wing governments in Brazil. First, uh, um, Temer, uh, Michel Temer was was vice president of Dilma. He took uh, over, and then uh, Brazil elected we the country elected Bolsonaro, this extreme right wing uh, president. So because of that, of course, the political relationship with China um, got worse. Actually, there's no, almost no political relationship right now in terms of strategic partnership. But there's a huge trade. It's true. I mean, actually, Brazil is, uh, China is by far the biggest uh, trade partner of Brazil. Last year, it was $135 billion of trade between both countries. This is almost the same as China and Russia for instance, um, and Brazil has a big, actually a big uh, surplus trade with, uh, with, with China. It was almost $40 billion last year. It's one of the, I don't know if it's the, the only country, but one of the few countries for sure that has actually surplus regarding uh, uh, China. So in terms of trade, um, it's, it's doing great. But what is the, I would say maybe the, things that we can improve in the next years. And, and of course, this requires political relationship. Right now, 90% of the trade of the, of the exports from Brazil to China are basically four products. Soy, oil, beef, I have a good beef, by the way, um, and um, what is it called? Iron, iron ore. So this four products is 89% of the trade between Brazil and China. Okay, it's important for Brazil. It is important, of course, for many reasons. But these are also, uh, first of all, it's commodities. So, of course, commodities are always like 
There's like price, very big price variations and also agribusiness, mining, all, all of this energy. It's, it's very concentrated. Agribusiness is very concentrated. So it's not something that actually, uh, for instance, uh, provides a lot of job employment for, for the people. And even like the, the wealth, uh, the profits of that is also very concentrated. So what there's big discussions right now in Brazil going on, uh, especially in the more progressive sectors and people around President Lula, is that one thing that we could improve in the relationship between Brazil and China would be try to change some, some of these uh, patterns of, of the trade and investments. Because, for instance, um, Brazil needs technology. We, I mean, we have a big industrial base, but of course we need to catch up because, I mean, the, all the, all the, uh, the, the progress of technology in the last 20, 10 years, uh, Brazil needs, needs to catch up. China could also uh, be a partner on that. Of course, China is one of the most advanced uh, economies in the world. So we, we need transfer of technology. The same way, actually, China did in the 80s and 90s and since then with the global north countries. So this could be something. And, but, of course, it could be done, but this requires a political relationship. And just, just to finish with that, I'll give you one example of things that China... Uh, is willing to do. You take Argentina, for instance. Argentina made like a few agreements with China in the last year. Very interesting agreements. If you take, for instance, energy. China's investments in Brazil in the last years with energy was actually mostly uh, buying, acquiring state uh, SOEs from, from Brazil, state uh, companies that Brazil privatized because it's a, again, it's not a smart government we have in the last years. So they're privatizing strategic assets as energy. China is doing, it's, it's China's interest. It's okay. I mean, Brazil is offering, China is going and, and, and buying. But with Argentina, Argentina is proposing something different. So they had a few agreements in the last year, in the last year about uh, energy. They have the biggest solar panel plant in Latin America right now is in Argentina, funded by China with Chinese technology. They, a few months ago, they announced a new hydroelectric power plant. And then you go to the whole green development, transition of energy. Same. It's uh, funded by, by China and also China will transfer technology. And more important, like a nuclear power plant $8 billion projects, again funded by Chinese banks, and with the, the technology, which is a Chinese technology, Hualong, that China just also mastered last year for the first time. China now has its own technology for nuclear power plants. China will also transfer this technology to Argentina in the next years. So, I mean, I think these agreements between Argentina and China shows to Brazil what China is willing to do and what Brazil should be proposing to China right now. Uh, but for that, again, we need uh, a smarter government and we need uh, politics, good political relationship. And of course, right now, we expect that if Lula wins, uh, this would be a game changer for the relationship between Brazil and China uh, from next year on. So that's that's our hope. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I think when when bricks were founded, it was a、uh, they agreed it's non-alignment. It's not about it's not a organization that targets a third party or another country. Is these countries come together, work for mutual interests, for mutual benefits. So you can see there are disputes between these countries, but it never stopped these countries from working with each other. Because I assume because they know it's for the greater good, it's for all these emerging, developing economies, it's for the global south. So even though、uh, we have maybe have political disputes, but we still can work economically, financially, culturally through BRICS system. <laughs> so I have one last question. It may sounds very big question. Because we are all saying it's time for the global south to unite and change and do something about it. And in your opinion, how can global south unite and really change the geopolitical balance? Yeah, this is indeed this is the maybe one of the most important, if not the most important, question of our generation in the global south. How can we change the game? I think we, I mean, we've been talking about this. I mean, all these initiatives, for instance, this regional platforms, this has to, this has to grow. This has to be strengthened、um, in Latin America, the Caribbean, in Africa, in、uh, Asia, in Arabic countries. So, and I, I think we are moving into this into this direction.、Uh, I think it's interesting because you know there is there is like a Old Russian politics called Vladimir, but not Putin.、Uh, Vladimir Lenin. He had a very interesting sentence that I think sort of summarizes what we are living now, especially after the、uh, the conflict in Ukraine. He says, "You know, there are decades that nothing happens, but there are weeks where decades happen." And I think, especially after the、uh, the the beginning of the conflict in Ukraine, looks like there's the some of the strands. It's not new. It's it, this has been built in the last twenty years、uh, or, or so, but we feel like this these trends are speeding up. It's like the history is speeding up in front of our eyes. And I think the the conflict in Ukraine actually helped this because, of course, there's a The conflict is it's it's getting like more more tense, more stronger, and is and is getting clear. I think that for instance, we talked about the example of the the freezing of the Russian assets. I mean, it's clear now. We need alternative to the dollar. So it's it's interesting because if you if you take the the last maybe three weeks, I mean, you also said at the beginning we had. Eight、um, to six to tenth of June, summit of Americas, big failure of U.S. Twelve countries out of thirty-five didn't show up. Then nine days after that, we had Colombia election, nineteenth. Then last Wednesday,、uh, last Friday, sorry, there was the the speech、uh, of President Vladimir Putin in St. Petersburg,、uh, the Economic Forum. Uh, a very strong speech, saying, you know, this the 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 old order 
it's over. The, your days are, are counted. I mean, you, you thought that we we're going to crash Russia with the sanctions. You didn't. Actually, the sanctions are are blowing back to Europe. I mean, I don't know if you saw a few days ago, there's a huge demonstration in in, uh, in Belgium, mm. in Brussels, of people complaining about the hike of prices and hike of prices because of, of, of the sanctions against Russia. So now we will have BRICS in Beijing these days. And next week, I think 28th or something like that, you have the NATO meeting in Madrid, right? Uh, which, by the way, is going to be a very important meeting, a very actually scary meeting because, I mean, Japan, South Korea, Australia, New Zealand are attending for the first time. Um, it's true that U.S. were able to reunify NATO in this in, in these last months and maybe bring more partners uh, for this sort of like global NATO. But Anyway, so you have in, in three weeks, so many things happen, so many very significant, uh, significant things for the history uh, of the planet in the next years. But it's also interesting because it's also very symbolic. I don't know if you, if you thought about it, but we have this meeting of the BRICS in Beijing. So it's the platform, the global south, and there's a, like a very important discussion about expanding the BRICS, right? This is China proposed. A few weeks ago, all the BRICS countries said, yes, let's expand. Many countries can, can join, Argentina, Mexico, Indonesia, Iran, Turkey, Senegal, Nigeria. It's probably in the next years we're going to have like a BRICS plus. Mm. So this is Beijing, which for me is the, is the symbol of the new. It's the symbol of the innovation. It's like the vibrant energy of Global South coming from China. It's the future. And then you have the NATO meeting at this moment in Madrid. And what is Madrid? Madrid is the capital of Spain. Madrid is the city where, uh, from the Spanish Empire who sent Christopher Columbus to America in 1492 to start the colonization of the global south. So this is, this is very interesting because this is, Madrid is the symbol of the beginning of the whole ex- history of exploitation, genocide, slavery of the global south. And now you have NATO at this particular moment meeting in Madrid. So it's Beijing and Madrid. I think this is the symbol of the of the the, the old order who is actually mm-hmm. dying as President Putin said and he's right. And Beijing is the symbol of the new order, the multipolar order that we are going to build in the next year. I mean, I think this is a very very important moment of history and exciting moment, dangerous moment, because it's true, U.S. can try stupid things, and they might, they might try more stupid things, but also I think it's a big opportunity for the Global South that maybe we haven't been able still to explore, and now with all the changes in, in the global geopolitics, uh, we might be able to open this door and start changing the world. So... Mm. And I think it's also interesting to point out, like because we mentioned the Ukraine conflict uh, and Russia in this several times, but I think a lot of people in the West I cannot understand that many countries in the global South didn't join their narratives or didn't take their side, not necessarily because they are on Russia's side. They are thinking like you, you are either with us or you're against us. 
But for most of the countries, no, I'm not on Russia's side in this war, but I'm definitely not on your the West side because these countries they know history, they know what you guys did to us, and this kind of conflict, this kind of war happened again and again in different continents、uh, several times in history. Just because this time it happened in Europe, it got all of the huge coverage across all media in Western countries. But it's happening everywhere in the West Asia. In Africa, in Latin America, like it's happening everywhere every day, but no, no attention to this. And I think because of the conflicts, these countries are seeing, okay, this is happening again, and they see what this could, what damage this could bring to us, and what the United States could do to us, destroying our system, destroying our financial system. Destroying us with all these sanctions, so there are things come together. So like, let's let's find a solution, just just for for us can stand on our own feet without being bullied by others. So I mean, this is the fact. I think a lot of Westerners really need to understand. <laughs> That's the reason that these countries are not on your side, and I don't understand why they have such a hard time to understand this. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I don't know if you saw. I think two days ago, they tried to arrange the meeting with,、uh, with Zelensky,、uh, the president of Ukraine, with the African countries, <laughs> and like out of 54 countries, four show up. <laughs> so I mean, that's it. I mean, I think it's at some point, all the history of the last like hundreds of years. I mean, we have to we have to learn the lesson, and I think again, as you said, the the war in Ukraine is not that the countries are not picking sides, but they don't want to pick sides. They are thinking about how, yeah, they are thinking how to protect myself from this kind of crisis, from this kind of bullying and sanctions. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Marco. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I hope to see you soon in another episode. Yes, thank you.